0: Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice and this is the Grognard Files podcast where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my secret underground base hidden beneath dirt towers in Adlington, Chorley, in the northwest of England. I'm completely surrounded by my wonderful toys and my grognard files. Over here on my left is my ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Munro. I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes, this time the eternal champion is Mystic Mary. Versus Killer Bunnies in a film that was released last year, Cute Little Buggers. For this episode, I'm reaching down a bit of an obscure game. Golden Heroes is a game of superhero role playing. Perhaps not as famous as Champions, Superworld, Villains and Vigilantes, or Marvel Superheroes, but a significant one in the history of British RPGs as it was the first home-grown RPG to be published by Games Workshop. It's important too, as it embodies the spirit that defined the early 80s in the UK, the time and place we focus on in this podcast, as it emerged from the players rather than the industry. The very first version of Golden Heroes was a self-published booklet, a limited edition, created in 1981. The game was popular on the circuit when it caught the attention of Games Workshop, who were looking to add own games to the repertoire of local versions of American imports. In 1984, they launched the game with a great fanfare in White Dwarf with loads of supporting material, but it was short-lived. Before long, it was quietly dropped and seemed to disappear. I've produced a five-minute film to accompany this podcast so you can see it for yourself. The original, self-published rules and all of the material that was produced for the game. Peter Haynes and Simon Burley created the game and Simon joins us for this two-part episode. In this part, he tells the story of the ups and downs of creating Golden Heroes. Judge Blythe, our resident rules lawyer, joined me in the room of role-playing rambling to review the game's mechanics. Lauren Schick, in his book Heroic Worlds, a history and guide to role-playing games, describes Golden Heroes as unremarkable, but we think it deserves more attention than that. We also reflect on playing superheroes in RPGs, It seems more attractive now than it did back then. I'll be back at the end to give you, the Grog Squad, an update on some of the latest projects that we've been working on. And you can get involved with them, or you can smile politely and ignore me. Ramblers, let's get rambling. Welcome to Open Box, part of the podcast where we enter the time machine to ping backwards in time so we can propel forwards into the present. This time, I'm joined by Simon Burley. CEO Hi. games designer, small press publisher, fanzine editor and an RPG superstar from the 80s. Uh, think of Simon Le Bon with D20s. Is that, is that fair
1: enough, Simon? Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can live with that.
0: <laughs> well, it's traditional. Uh, on The Grognard Files to ask the question, how did you get into the hobby?
1: We were raised by a very sensible father who us all on Waddington's board games. You know, all the standard ones, but the best ones, mine, a million, the business game. He was getting a magazine called Games and Puzzles, and it were dealt with board games and things, and he had articles by Giles Brandreth when he was the old World Scrabble champion, and things like that. And just before I got to university, it had an article in it about this new game that was coming in from America, which was called Dungeons and Dragons. My dad wouldn't spring for it; he wasn't interested. So I had to wait till I got to university. And as soon as I got to university, I saw it at the games club and played D and D. So I got into it at about a year after it came over here, when Greyhawk came in, just about the time of the funny shaped dice.
0: So, so what was that experience like? So just uh, describe that first experience of uh, playing.
1: Uh, <laughs> first experience of playing, I had a referee who I thought was God Because he seemed to have made up his own world and his own rules And he seemed to be totally in charge of what was happening I was totally blown away with being able to make my own decisions So I decided to attack the Four monster with a battle axe instead of a broadsword uh, And I got eaten <laughs> So my warrior, my warrior was killed first off Next week I made a cleric He's theoretically still alive somewhere, reincarnated as a goblin, but theoretically he's still alive and he was never actually permanently killed. Uh, And then I did a a year at Nottingham University where the only thing that kept me at the university was the twice-weekly gaming, and then when I failed my exams at the end of the year and I came back to Birmingham, I was at a teacher training college that didn't do D&D, but I used to go to Birmingham University play at the game society there and that's when I bumped into all the people we developed Golden Heroes with. Um
0: for people who've never played Golden Heroes how would you pitch it to them?
1: Golden Heroes is a superhero role playing game. It's a traditional superhero role playing game. The main mechanic is roll the d20 versus defense class which so it's very similar to D&D but it was based heavily on the Marvel comics of the time. We're talking about just immediately before Watchmen, just before the comics code disappeared. At the heyday, the X-Men were being written by John Byrne and Chris Claremont. The Iron Man was written by uh, Michelinie and Layton, which is what the modern Iron Man films are based on. It was the the heyday of Marvel Comics, in my opinion. And it's a role-playing game that's based directly on that, so that if you play the game, it simulates exactly what was happening in the comics at the time. It uses comic book assumptions, like you play, you don't have comic book rounds, we do have rounds, but you don't have actions. You have comic book frames where anything you do in the game is a direct representation of what's in the comics.
0: Uh, the, one of the great features of it, of course, is the character creation.
1: Oh, yeah. it's uh, In um, super role-playing games, there were two main uh, trains of thought. The main one, the most popular one, which is used in Champions and in Mutants and Masterminds, and which came out of the original superhero role-playing game, uh, Super 44, is you get um, some points to given, and you spend the points designing the character, which takes a long time. You can make exactly the character you want, but if your character dies, next game you can recreate exactly the same character. The other school of thought is that you randomly roll superpowers, which I think was how villains and vigilantes started, and what Icons does at the moment. The problem with that is you can get random superpowers that you don't want to play. What Golden Heroes does is it bridges the gap. You get given a certain number of rolls that you can use to roll for superpowers. And if you want to, you can just roll all randomly, (coughs) but you'll end up with some powers that you can't rationalise. What you can do with Golden Heroes, what you should do, is after you've rolled three or four superpowers out of your eight, you should stop and then use your remaining power to upgrade the powers you've got. So you stop after a certain period of time, and then you decide which one of your powers you want to put with higher levels and which ones you want to keep the same. So it's, uh, it's halfway between random rolling and design, and it's absolutely brilliant. You have to do it to experience it. I've sat around the table many times with people, and the dice give you a start to your imagination and you can watch people's imaginations take flight as they're making their characters. You can come to the table with no idea what super you're going to play, and you end up making somebody that you want to play forever.
0: And I've seen that in action because I've played it recently, and yeah. we've created the characters at the table. And you're right, uh, you can see people, uh, their imaginations light up.
1: Yes, but it's not... Um, sometimes in the right ups people say it's random rolling and you have difficulty rationalising the powers. I've never actually been at a table when I've had anyone that can't... Put the powers together to make a character. You just have to think of it, and that's what creates the character's backstory. It's in the rules. It says if you can't, you know, think of how to fit a power in, you have to drop it. But I've never ever had to drop a power myself. I've never seen anybody have to go without a superpower. There's always some way to fit it in. That clever way of fitting it in is what makes the makes the characters fly.
0: And the other element, of course, is you can choose to use uh,
1: your role on advantageous backgrounds as well as superpowers. I sort of created Golden Heroes, I got it going and I was the one that saw it through to the end. But at university I had a friend called Pete Haines who was a, turns out he's a games design genius. And he just comes up with these ideas off the top of his head. And as long as you write them down, they're brilliant. And his thought for advantageous backgrounds was that um, you say before you make the character that you would like to have an advantageous background, you would like to be a brilliant scientist like Tony Stark, or you'd like to be super rich like Bruce Wayne, but you don't have to pick what it is till you've rolled the powers. So you can pick an advantageous background that suits the powers. Ignore what's written in the actual rulebook. Games Workshop, when they produced it for publication, had a fixation on putting a random roll on everything, which um, wasn't the original intent in the game. The idea that you can pick an advantageous background, but then you have to randomly roll for it, when we wanted you to pick one that suited the character.
0: So it's it's important to say that this emerged uh, from uh, your playing with uh, Peter, and you actually produced the rules, didn't you?
1: Yep. It became so popular that people wanted to have their own copies, so I spent a bit of money, I think it was a £100, paying a business consultant to have his typist type it up in an electric typewriter, and photocopied, I think it was, a 100 copies, Uh, and you showed it on your introductory video, which I hope everyone's seeing, because that's fantastic. Uh, A little A5 booklet, we got a... Really nice looking front cover from an artist who was writing for a fanzine I was writing for at the time, who later went on to design figures for Games Workshop, that's how good it was, and we we sold it. And six of those copies just happened to go off to six of the biggest games companies, you know, in the hopes of getting a professional deal.
0: And so were you going around uh, conventions at this time, playing the game
1: and uh, taking the opportunity of selling it? I don't think I sold many at conventions. I can't remember if it came before or after the convention thing. We were definitely playing games at conventions. Um, Right when we made it, we were playing games with generic characters. But then we soon moved on to going to conventions and using it to re-fight famous Marvel comic book battles. We had a guy at the university in our group who was brilliant at converting figures. He had, you know, we had the best Marvel figures ever converted out of um, existing figures. Um, do you remember the Airfix World War II Commando set? Oh, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. There's a figure in that, a sapper, running forwards, crouching down. Um, the guy looked at that and said, that looks like a Nightcrawl pose, and converted that into a crawl figure for the X-Men game. You know, he was, he was genius at what he did. And we went to the conventions, and there were three big comic book battles that we re-fought. We re-fought X-Men 137, which was the X-Men versus the Imperial Guard on the blue area of the moon for the face of the Phoenix. That's a classic comic book. We re-fought Avengers Annual 10, which was the Avengers versus the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, the first appearance of Rogue. And there was a wonderful uh, Chris Claremont uh, Marvel team-up. That was a comic where Spider-Man teamed up with a different person each week and it was a four-issue storyline which ended up with um, Spider-Man and Nick Fury and Black Widow, and because Nick Fury couldn't trust any of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents because they'd all been hypnotised, from the British Secret Service, he got Shang-Chi, the Master of Kung Fu, and they were fighting Viper, Silver Samurai, and Boomerang on the helicarrier with loads of hypnotised S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to stop them dropping the helicarrier on Jimmy Carter. That's how long ago <laughs> Oh, wow. That <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> so we uh, we... we we went around, you know, refighting those comic battles. The best one was Avengers 137, X-Men for the, versus Imperial Guard. I don't know if you've read it or remember it. No, no, I don't know. That. But that, that's on the moon. They have to fight the Imperial Guard because the Imperial Guard want to kill Phoenix because she's eaten a, eaten a star and kill him, killed four billion people. And at the end of the comic, famously, Phoenix is supposed to be defeated and she's supposed to be lobotomized. But the editors at Marvel told the writers, you can't lobotomise her because she'll still be around and the evil character's going to come back. She's killed four billion people. You've got to kill her. So we normally played it to the end of the comic as it was published. Uh, No, we normally played it to the unpublished version, which is when Phoenix was killed, uh, knocked down. That was the end of the game. Anyone that knows the comic knows that there's a dramatic ending where Dark Phoenix comes back and she's incredibly powerful. And once, one game, we had the card. We gave the, this secret card to the guy that was playing Phoenix and let him play the mega-powerful Dark Phoenix. And you could see his eyes light up, and you could see madness. Because the rule was, it was the more she used her power, the more powerful she got. That was literally the rule on the card. So the more damage she did to people, the more people she put down next round. She added that onto her power next round. So th- she was getting exponentially more powerful. You could see... Him. <laughs> <laughs> desperately trying to slaughter as many people
0: as possible. I, I, but it was, it's not all about um, the set pieces, though, is it? Because yeah. um, it, it, it's really good at uh, dealing with campaign play, which can be difficult in a superhero game, can't it?
1: Well, it does it in two ways. One's the short term, uh, which are called campaign ratings, which is what everybody loves. At the end of the game, you need to have a reward system for the players, which in D and ds classically experience points it's you've done well here's your reward for doing well. your experience points we didn't want that because in the comics the most the the heroes don't get to buy things with gold they don't get to get better because they've got more experience they develop in different ways so the short-term reward was things called campaign ratings players were rated on how they played their characters and if they have given orders and looked after people, and played in a generally bombastic manner, people pay attention to them and do what they say. It's exactly the scene three decades later in the Avengers, they showed you in the Avengers film, where the policeman says to Captain America, why should we do what you say? And Cap demonstrates why they should follow his instructions. In Golden Heroes, the way you play your character determines whether people are likely to follow what you do the next next issue. But there was another one called Detective Points, where if you actually looked for clues and interrogated witnesses and used your superpowers to find clues, you gained more Detective Points. And it's impossible to be top of your game as a detective, like Batman, and be top of your game at getting people to do what you want, like Captain America. There was a trade-off. But what it does is it stops players being murder hobos people play the game and they see you get rewarded if you act like a superhero and it makes people encourages people to play in the right way it's like an alignment system that actually works these
0: hundred copies as you said um, a handful of them went off to uh, publishers
1: at what point did uh, games workshop get in touch Pretty, pretty quick i think it was, it was you know, within a couple of months. And they told us I had the licence for Marvel Comics when we were over the moon, so we rewrote the rules to produce a fully Marvel version. And, and Marvel,
0: do, you, did. do you still have that draft somewhere?
1: I've got a load of papers in my loft, right, and I'm not sure what I've got and what I haven't. I'll be honest there. I know I've got all the character cards for every character in the Marvel Universe, but I know that there was a simple example scenario just to get people warmed up on the combat which featured the Defenders, I remember that the big scenario at the end was actually um Captain America and Daredevil and Heroes for Hire. You know, um Luke Cage and Iron Fist. So it was sort of street level scenario was the was our big scenario. But
0: they 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 contacted you to say that they got the Marvel, Marvel licence. Yeah.
1: And, and we wrote a Marvel version and submitted that. And then they said, Oops, no, we haven't got the Marvel version. Then Um, Pete worked with a great guy there called Albi Fury over the space of the next 12 months to change the developed game, because it wasn't the game that I'd um, self-published by then, the extra bits had been added in, back into a non-Marvel version. But that took 12 months because Games Workshop had one, I think they called it a typesetter, not a word processor at that time, and during the day it was solidly used to produce White Dwarf. So Albi could only work on Golden Heroes on it in the evenings when everyone else had gone home. So it took them 12 months to produce the uh, the non-Marvel version. And by that time, TSR had produced a Marvel game called Marvel Super Heroes. And it came out one week before Golden Heroes, and it was £1 cheaper. And it had Captain America and The Thing and Spider-Man on the cover.
0: And and so did that affect the, the response to uh, Golden
1: Heroes? Oh, yeah, it did. Tot- totally undercut it, completely. There was a little bit of... Um, blur versus oasis stuff in the games press for a while about which was the best game yeah um you know the review in imagine magazine which was the uk house magazine for tsr said that um golden heroes won hands down which games <laughs> workshop were happily quoting yeah that's one of the adverts but, isn't it yeah yeah golden heroes is is the better game but um marvel superheroes is the better product if you know what I mean, it had it had lots of cardboard bits in, and and also it was massively well supported. They just flooded loads and loads of supplements for us, uh, lots of scenarios. It's, so it was going to be more successful. You see, we were very.
0: Um... White Dwarf orientated um, in mm-hmm. our club, so all we really saw was Golden Heroes, and it seemed like it was uh, going uh, crazy. You know, we thought that it was the flavour of the month, and mm-hmm. that's what made us want to have it.
1: I've never seen, I've never seen the South figures, even though the contract said they were supposed to show them to us, and I've never asked for them. You know, they just, um, it obviously didn't take off in the way they were going to hope. They hoped, and they quietly dropped it.
0: Because it was um, well supported in uh, White Dwarf, wasn't it? There's a lot of material yeah.
1: published in White Dwarf. Yeah, mainly written by me, <laughs> <laughs> or edited by me. <laughs> yeah, I became their contributing here, uh, editor for Super Heroes for a while, editing a bi-monthly column, and I wrote. I got to write a couple of uh, a couple of scenarios, an introduction to super Hero role-playing games, and
0: it was supported by um, a, a couple of scenario packs um, yes. and uh, one I want to talk about is Legacy of Eagles because um, yeah. it, it was actually that scenario pack that attracted me to the game because it's got the great uh, Brian Bolland cover and it was, it was the cover that drew me to uh, actually buying the
1: game mm. as, a, as a creator I, know, you know, I don't want to be miserable about things but I wasn't tremendously happy with the cover I mean it's great, it's done by Brian Bolland but I had, a, I had an idea for what the cover should have looked like. And they never ask, they never ask you. You used to submit the scenario, and they never ask you what you want on the cover. They just go away and do it. Um, and they are literally two throwaway characters. Quagmire and Worm are not the best characters I designed ever. But it looked good. I actually wrote, wrote that scenario. Like I like a lot of stuff. I wrote the scenario like I created Golden Heroes, like I created Squadron UK in a fit of anger um golden heroes came about because uh the first super role-playing game was called superhero 2044 the author of which who's recently died donald saxman it was a brilliant setting the guy had obviously typed it up in his own garage and got it out in the world but it didn't have a good rule system and so the game plummeted i tried to run it with Pete and the rest of the gang and they hated it because they said it was not like the comics and so in temper and it was in temper I went away and I did a quick hack of something called Gamma World which had all the mutant powers you'd want and I ran it for them and just let them do whatever they wanted I let them throw forklift trucks about I let them smash through walls and I thought there you are there's a game with no challenge at all where you can be a superhero and I thought they'd be bored with it and they loved it and so i made golden heroes the same thing happened with legacy of eagles peter had been working with games workshop for a year producing a new um version of golden heroes and he told me that he was writing a scenario and i got annoyed that he was writing the first scenario and then i dashed one off pretty much overnight which was legacy of eagles and he told me the only reason he'd done the first scenario was because I was making all the money from White Dwarf, which was fair enough. If he'd explained that first, I wouldn't have done it. But, um, you know, Legacy of Eagles was produced type until three o'clock in the morning just to get a scenario written to challenge Pete. And unfortunately, his, which was a much, much better thought out scenario, much deeper beneath the shadow of the stars. And don't ask me if this exists anymore. If it does, it was in a draw at Games Workshop. It was a much better scenario. I remember the three villains in it. They were taken from Earth to be experimented on by aliens in the Middle Ages. When they were experimented on, their minds went back to the what they thought when they saw the alien spaceship swooping over. So one of them thought it was an eclipse of the sun, and he got the power of an eclipse. One of them thought it was a dragon and became a dragon. And one of them saw just raw power and became mega-powerful, and they came back in those forms to Earth. No, hundreds of years later. There was lots more to it, but it was a brilliant scenario. Well, one of the things
0: about uh, Legacy of Eagles, and this has been picked up by uh, a couple of our listeners, is that it was a step change in how uh, it was laid out and designed um, because of um, there's all that like, call-out boxes and... Uh, lots of interesting things going on to give more depth yeah. to the scenario so did that
1: come after the first draft or was that in the oh, yeah, first that's entirely that's nothing to do with me that's entirely albiouri the editor who was working on it at a games workshop he did the layout right. the so, idea of putting the stat boxes basically in columns at the side so you can have the story going down the middle was his layout and it was a brilliant idea
0: and and the other um, scenario that uh, which released was one by Marcus Rowland which is yes. the one I ran the um, Holy Grail one.
1: Was that one of the ones they made for their monthly series? They were, they were producing a monthly series of That's scenarios right. by yeah. the Games Workshop. Yeah. Were. Yeah. So they had you know, one for Call of Cthulhu and one for Golden Heroes. I wasn't that keen on that scenario the first time I read it because you get very insular and very protective about your products and our product was it's a love letter to Marvel Comics. It's not a standard Marvel comic. There's a lot of investigation and a lot of weirdness and a lot of subtlety. So I read it but didn't play it. I ran it for my son many, many years later. And when I ran it, I realised, ah, now I understand what he's getting at. But it's, you know, on initial reading, it was different from what we were doing. I we suppose what makes it better? It
0: has some good, uh, a couple of good set pieces. Yeah.
1: And as you pointed out in the video, like I completely missed, it has both a dungeon in it and the dragon in it. <laughs> Yes, which is a very subtle little joke.
0: And and the other the other thing that came out was the um, supervisors kit as well, wasn't it, to to support it. Yeah. And and were there other things planned? Because I know that in Black Sun, which was the subscriber um, subscriber fanzine, and uh, that went out with White Dwarf, it did mention
1: um, a mega villains supplement. Well, as I say, there was Beneath the Shadow of the Stars, which was Pete's scenario. And um, there was a Megavillain supplement. We happened to mention to AlbuFiori that we had rules for Megavillains. They weren't in the basic set. They, but they were literally two lines. Uh, Megavillain gets three frames plus one frame for everybody's fighting. So the more people that fight, the more actions they get. And they can ignore initiative. They act whenever they want. That's the entire rules. But they put an advert in White Dwarf saying coming soon, megavillains. So we had to write a supplement. And we did. It had four megavillains in it. Each megavillain had two scenario seeds. I think it had two alternative worlds in the back. It's ages since I've read it. It's disappeared into the ether. I, I do... I've theoretically I've got a digital copy in the loft, but it's on an Amstrad three-inch disc, <laughs> which can't be read. But the, the physical copy might be coming back in my possession in the near future. So I'll have an announcement to make if that happens.
0: I know when I, I spoke to Ian Marsh, um, I think he was surprised when Golden Heroes was um, quietly dropped. How did you get that news?
1: He told us. was a good thing that we that took the... Uh, lump sum, I think we decided to take the lump sum on Golden Heroes and the royalties on the supplements and you know, to be fair it paid the deposits on my first house so thank you very much Golden Heroes <laughs> and The internet um, in, particularly in the 90s um,
0: came alive with the idea of, uh, of Golden Heroes it, it kind of emerged that there was this um, cult following of the game is that when
1: you became aware of it again? Yeah, when the when I started using the internet, just as a matter of interest, I typed in Golden Heroes and I found out there were those people interested in the game. Uh, my record of the contract, which I didn't have a copy of at the time, was that after a certain period of time, if the game wasn't um, produced by Games Workshop, that the rights would revert to us. So I wrote to Games Workshop and I said, look, you haven't produced it for a couple of decades. It's my intention to put out a new version. Is that okay? And I heard nothing. So I put out a new version um, called Squadron UK. Because I also discovered at the same time this wonderful thing called print-on-demand. Where you can send a file off to a website. And a week or so later, you get a book in your hand that you've written. It's absolute miracle, isn't it? Print-on-demand. Mm-hmm. So I, I produced a game and um, called Squadron UK, which was basically an update of Golden Heroes. Not much changed, but a um, little bit of balancing. Strength was downgraded ever so slightly, and energy attack was bumped up to compensate a bit. But basically the same game. And that was the point at which I didn't have a home group, and my wife, bless her, said, "Why don't you go to these games conventions things and try, you know, playing it there?" And I started going to conventions running it and it garnered a bit of interest, and a British publishing house that everyone uh, would know if I mentioned the name um, wanted to bring back a professional copy of Golden Heroes, but wanted to use the name, so I wrote to uh, Games Workshop and checked that I could use the name. Heard nothing, so I wrote again. Heard nothing. And about the third or fourth time I asked, they finally got back to me and said, no, you can't. We still own the IP. And by the way, we noticed you've mentioned that Squadron UK's a development of Golden Heroes. Please stop selling it. That was the end of that one. But Squadron UK still exists. Um, At that point, my wife, bless her, said to me the following phrase, why don't you just write another one? (laughs) (laughs) You know, way back in history, you you get lightning in a bottle, you have a moment, and you produce a game. The idea of writing, you know, could I write another one? But as I say, I was so fired up by this letter that I did actually go back to basic principles and i looked at golden heroes and i thought what have people said over the years Is wrong with it or what is wrong with it keep all the good stuff what's wrong with it and then you know that golden heroes consists of lots and lots of different systems you are one dice for dodging a different dice for parrying your characteristics and you've got your ratings detective points is your perception rating and public status is your charisma rating so i could put those all into one streamlined system, and people said they wanted a skill system. Went back to first principles and designed the game around a central main mechanic, and play tested it at a load of conventions, and it worked. But um, I'm not sure if today I could I could write anything that long again because uh, all that detailed or with that many superpowers. I was just driven by you know. Having the, the email from Games Workshop Saying please don't sell it So just to confuse matters There's Squadron UK version 1 out there Which is basically an update of Golden Heroes Which is illegal And if anybody's got a copy I should not have sold it to them That's full colour, glossy With some really great artwork in it By a guy called Dave D. And then there's a later version Which um, is Squadron UK as it is today Which is mainly stock art inside And um, is a much more streamlined game And a better game but not as popular as Golden Heroes. And, but
0: that's available for download, isn't it? And uh, print-on-demand, yeah, did you
1: say? Um, it's on Drive Through RPG, and it's also for sale on Amazon. There is a nice full-colour hardback which you can get through Through RPG.
0: Well, that's great. I'm sure that there are people out there who will be dying to uh, recreate the Golden Heroes experience. So uh, thanks for speaking to us, uh, Simon. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Just by the <laughs> rules. Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling. He's the head of the Justice League because you can't save the world alone. Here he is with his wonder wig, his frock of flight, star of the armchair cinematic universe, Judge Blythe. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. Um, So we're going to talk today about Golden Heroes. And it's a game we had, Mm. isn't it, back in the day?
2: We did. um, We did. I think we all had it. Well, it was the same game. I think it was passed around, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I bought it because... It was one of those things were uh,
0: themes that emerged, didn't they? So I remember when uh, the Far East and ninjas and samurais were a mm. thing, weren't they? For a couple of yeah. months, everybody wanted to be a samurai or a ninja. Yeah. And then at one point, it was all about superheroes and super, superhero games. And I think I got caught along. I, I'm susceptible to this kind of thing anyway. And I was drawn in and bought, <laughs> bought this game, took it home. And didn't know what to do with it, and I think I'm pretty sure that Eddie had it. I passed it on to Eddie, and got a guitar. I got a guitar, I think, out of that exchange. Uh, but it had yeah. no strings. You, know, you didn't know what to do with that either. You?
2: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it had no strings for one thing. I think he gunned you there. I think I think Eddie had you there with that a guitar I, I... with no strings. Yeah, that's right. yeah. What did, he, what did he say? They're invisible strings. Yeah. You don't need strings. Don't worry. I'm surprised you've admitted to that. That's very brave of you. Admit to that. The podcast that you swapped it for a guitar with no strings. Yeah. You never know when it might come in. No. The the
0: yeah. um, I'm pretty sure. It ended up with you because you sold it on eBay a few
2: years ago, didn't you? I know, I did, I did, and that—that's a terrible thing to. That's an even worse thing to admit to, isn't it? Actually, yeah, that's uh, to be honest. Now, I wish I'd bought the guitar with no strings and did admit to selling it on eBay. It's <laughs> a terrible thing. Yeah, Never
0: mind. So, so you inherited it from Eddie. I'm sure yeah. it's that way around.
2: Oh you no, know, it is. It is because uh, the copy I sold had. Uh, sticky back plastic all the books were backed with sticky back plastic which was the the hallmark of eddie wasn't it that he he was very very careful to back all the books and everything so that was that was definitely he'd had it before me so it must have been yeah you then him then me but i think the, i mean in my defense um look at me i'm a judge but i'm putting up a defense <laughs> this isn't right is it um I sit in judgment, not not uh, to put up a defence. But in my defence, I think um, the reason I, I got rid of it and the reason, you know, when we we, we got back into role-playing, it was there, but it never crossed my mind to play it, is because, and, and I think the reason we passed it round was that sense that none of us really knew what to do with it. Yeah. The,
0: all the components are there, so all the elements mm. that you need to play the game, but somehow it's one of these rule systems when we talked about the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, it was the same, where it just didn't seem to string together in a way that you could play the game.
2: Well, yeah, that's true. And I think the thing I struggled, really struggled with when I remember looking at it was that, okay, I understood understood the game, understood the system, and I understood the principle, obviously, that you're a superhero. That's, That's not difficult to comprehend. But... Apart from set pieces where you would be fighting supervillains and using your superpowers, I couldn't think of how you could string those set pieces together. If that if that makes sense, you know, I couldn't. I didn't quite understand what would motivate the superheroes to be in that in that place fighting the supervillains. Do you see know what I mean? It was yeah. a, it, it seemed it seemed built around set pieces, but. What, how do you fill in the gaps between those set pieces? It's easy to imagine, you know, some almost super strength or flight or invisibility kind of zipping around a, a skyscraper, fighting the bad guys. That's very easy to, to to envisage and see, obviously. But what what do they do in the meantime? What do they do on the days off? I think this seems strange now because now. there's there's lots of superhero films about there's lots of things that where those kind of issues are dealt with but are you supposed to role play bits where they're not in the costume just being ordinary well they they do give you uh,
0: the facility to do that because it allows you to uh, have campaign play the tables Mm -hmm. here that describe the type of lifestyle that you have and it allows you to Develop your character by acquiring uh, points that you can spend on improving your lifestyle and improving some of your yeah your, your abilities. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I, I, I don't think it's
2: mechanical. But, but but the thing with that that's true about um, the lifestyle stuff. But even that feels like a, a very gamey or or almost outside the game activity. If you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's very. As, as I was saying before, it's all mechanically, it's all here. but it's mm. how do you uh, convert that into into a game? And I think you hit on something um, there about references as well, because although we um, used to read 2000 AD, American comics weren't really part of
2: our culture, were no. they? Then? No, they weren't. That's true. No, I couldn't. I mean, we did, we did read some. We did read some of those DC and Marvel comics as kids, like all kids did, but I I can remember it all being a bit patchy. So I can remember buying, I remember being on holiday in Morecambe with you when we were about 13 and going into a shop and buying some Silver Surfer comics. And I I can remember reading them and thinking, what's going on here? Who is he, the Silver Surfer? Why is this silver, why does this silver man have a surfboard? What's that about? Yeah. Because, because it was all serialized. So you, the shops, at least the shops we went in, w didn't religiously have the full the full serial. So you'd be getting some kind of half a story, wouldn't you, or something? Mid story. So it never quite gelled together, which which didn't quite grab your yeah. interest. Of my interest. No, and I think that, that translated through into the game, didn't it? As you say, that we got a superhero game, but we didn't know what to do with the superhero. You just end up reading
0: the adverts for uh, worker and... Uh... Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's weird adverts that they added. Twinkies. Twinkies, yeah. <laughs> Twinkies, those things. What
0: else? I, you know? I've never had a Twinkie. The other thing is, is <laughs> films. Films. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I've got a copy here of Starburst from 1981. And it was the first Starburst that I I actually bought, and in it it's got Clash of the Titans and Excalibur, and it has a feature about um, Richard Donner's Superman, because it although that came out years earlier, three years earlier, it was still doing the range, wasn't it? Because uh, films used to be replayed, and it had super, it's got Superman in it. And Condorman, mm. do you remember Condorman?
2: Oh well, I, I, unfortunately, yes. Tried yeah. to forget it, but you
0: know. uh, uh, Michael Crawford on a, looking awkward on a hang glider. Frank Frank Spencer. Yeah, Frank Spencer's a superhero. But even even Su- Superman, which was a big budget film, you you can believe a man can fly. Uh, you look at that. And it's got the sensibilities and the aesthetic of Kramer versus Kramer, hasn't it? It's got that seventies <laughs> kind of feel to it. If you get Krypton versus Krypton. <laughs> if you if you buy if you buy Starburst now, this this month, it's all about infinity war. And it's yes. got pages and pages of superhero. Superheroes are part of uh, the language now, haven't they? Because of the Marvel franchise yeah. and uh, DC it's everywhere and i think having played the game because we we revisited the game didn't we and played it a few weeks ago uh, with with a group of seven so a big a big party of, of players mm-hmm. and we had a great time playing it because i think that we got the mechanics to work
2: because we knew what we were trying to emulate what we we're trying to replicate yes i no you're absolutely right the, the sort of language of cinema is altered so it, it can deal with superheroes, and you can watch those films Avengers and Thor and the new Spider Man films, and it gives you a whole structure that you could build a game around. So you do see what they do when they're not in the costumes and the inter, inter the sort of relationships between the characters, and all those things that would make a role playing game more than just set pieces. Um, so you're right. And, and the thing is, as well, back in the day, I, I would go as far as to say Superman. Superman's the worst superhero anyway, isn't he? He's rubbish. <laughs> he is rubbish because he, he, the thing with the Superman films is, all right, they're okay, but as a reference point for superhero role-playing, they're rubbish because he can he can do anything, can't he? He's got X-ray yeah. vision. He can resist bullets. He can fly. all these things. And then, of course, they have to invent, because he's good at everything, they invent kryptonite to make him rubbish. Well, why not just... Not make him so good, so even, even the Superman films they they weren't a good reference point for a superhero role playing, I don't think at all, because it's just one superhero. And and I, I just think Superman's a bit, bit of a naff superhero, to be honest, not as good as Spider Man.
0: Well, you'll come, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that when we come to because uh, we'll get on to the rules in a bit because that's the idea of this bit, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But you hit on a, a, an interesting point there because you talked about how he's good at everything. And I yeah. do think that's part of the problem when we looked at this back in the 80s is that we were used to grit. We were used to failure. We were used to uh, authenticity. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> authenticity <laughs> and assimilation. Yes. And yes. I think part of the difficulty of this is thinking, I'm not going to give these powers to my friends because they'll just abuse them.
2: Yes, it, yes, it's a, you're right. It's for, for a bunch of RuneQuest players who I think at that point got into Call of Cthulhu. So not only were we into grit, we were into dying in horrible ways. Superhero role-playing did feel at the opposite end of the scale, didn't it? Because I can remember, I remember rolling a character for it. And I think the superpower, one of the superpowers I got was magic, which was kind of, In a strange way, disappointing, because I thought, well, it's just like being a wizard then, is it? I wanted to be a superhero. But I can remember looking at the superpower and thinking, wow, that's actually really powerful. This guy's powerful. Well, he's he's a superhero, isn't he? And you're right, it did feel a bit, even as a player, Oh, I've got these superpowers, but it feels a bit odd.
0: But we feel a lot more comfortable with it now. And if there was ever a game that proved our theory that... Um, you need to play a game to appreciate it, to understand it. This is it, isn't it? Because oh yeah, yeah. When, when we read this in the pub um, a few weeks ago, we were ready to slate it, weren't we? We were ready to have a real go yeah. at it. Yeah. And then we yes. played, we yeah. played it, and we had a great time and realised that everything works together to emulate yeah. a, a superheroes. So um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean,
2: we we looked at it um, without playing it. And we, we were starting to feel, I remember starting to feel slightly awkward that we weren't going to say anything good about it.
0: Yeah.
2: And yet, as you're about to see or hear, I think there's lots of good things about it. Lots but those good. things come, that come out in play, don't they? Like we always say, play is the thing. They come out when you actually play it. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So let's, um, what are your three highlights then?
2: My three highlights in no particular order. Character creation up and specifically generating new superpowers. Okay. That I like that. Yeah. I like the way it handles damage. I like the way it handles initiative and actions through through a thing called frames, which we'll we'll talk about okay. later in more detail.
0: Let's go through this then. Obviously, <laughs> okay. it's the jewel in the crown, isn't it? The character creation is what everybody fondly remembers from this game. So when we put yes. this on Twitter, people said, I just used to spend hours generating
2: characters. So let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about creating characters. Well, on the face of it, it, it doesn't sound particularly remarkable because when you create a character, you roll on the table to find what superpowers you've got. So you get a certain number of rolls, and with those rolls you can, you can buy sort of advantageous backgrounds, can't you? Yes. Um, so being rich or being connected to the criminal underworld or that, that kind of thing. But what you also do is you roll and you get superpowers, and they're generated at random. Now, that in itself doesn't sound remarkable. That, that sounds pretty standard, doesn't it, really?
0: It should also say as well that you can use the points to enhance uh, powers that you've already rolled. So, yes, So you, um, you can choose to spend one of your points to make your power of flight better, for
2: example. Yes, yes, you can do that as well, uh, but essentially they are they are randomly generated. But what is really really good about it is that once you've randomly generated your superpowers, you then have to come up with a backstory explaining how you got them, and if you can't explain one convincingly enough, you lose it. Yeah, and I I, I think that is way ahead of its time when you think back to the eighties. Most role playing games, certainly one of the ones we were playing, you rolled. And whatever you rolled, you got. You didn't have to justify it, did you? You know, you, no. you didn't. You don't have to. You don't have to roll three d six in in RuneQuest, and if you roll an eighteen, someone says, "Well, hang on a minute, why is he so strong? Justify that. Come up with a backstory." But I... in Golden Heroes, you you do. And and when we played it uh, at Convergence, we we all rolled our characters as part of the game, and we all came up with backgrounds. And that was that was a really enjoyable part of the game because. The superpowers lent themselves to creating comic book style backgrounds for all our characters. And, and I think that's a really good thing.
0: Also, doing it together was good because it allowed you to link characters. So uh, if yeah. you had compatible superpowers, having a relationship with some of the other characters around the table, so you could see yes. that happening. That was good. It, it was good seeing a team of superheroes appearing before your eyes. And yeah, yeah. Everybody yep. coming up with really interesting
2: stories to describe
0: mm-hmm. the reason
2: why they existed. Well, that's it because there wasn't there wasn't of the seven of us there wasn't really any duff stories. All everyone came up with a good backstory. And when they sat down at that table, when I sat down at that table, I didn't know what kind of character I was going to play. I wanted to play, but by the by, sort of half an hour, three quarters of an hour in, I had a fully fledged superhero. Had a backstory uh, and everything because it had said to me, Justify why you've got these powers. And I I do think that is a really, really good and clever aspect of the game, particularly, you know, perhaps not nowadays, but back then that that is ahead of its time, I think. Yeah, because although
0: Traveller uh, mechanically built your character's background, it didn't do it in the same way. This was handing over uh, a more story. Approach isn't it? Yeah. So you yeah. build your powers mechanically, but to justify them, you have to. Uh, it, it's more of a, a a narrativist approach, isn't it?
2: Yes, and that's a good, that's a very good comparison, I think, Traveler, because yes, Traveler gives you a background, but it but all it does is gives you a, a series of skills that you've acquired over time. It doesn't ask you to justify where you got them and how you got them. I mean, you can. You can do that, but you don't have to. And in fairness, I think at the time, it, it wouldn't have crossed a lot of people's minds to do that in travel. No. It's only because Golden Hero says, actually says, puts the idea in your head, doesn't it? I
0: also want to make the point that uh, the way the superpowers work is good as well. So you have um, four attributes, ego, strength, dexterity, vigor. So you've got mm. those four core elements, and the superpowers can adjust those mechanically. But you can also have ones that are just purely a description. So I think you had one that was speed, wasn't it? So you move faster yeah, than yeah. some people think.
2: Yeah, yeah some, It's just some, an idea, isn't it? It's not yeah. a me- It's not, It doesn't have a mechanic to it, does it? It's just no. a concept that you can throw out there and say, "Well, I can, I can do this. I can do that."
0: Yeah. And that worked really well in play. You wouldn't think it would, and I think this is the, this was the revelation in play. So people had some superpowers that um, they could deploy at the right time. And sometimes they were deficient because they didn't have the superpower that they required to do what they Mm. wanted to do. So I'm thinking a particular example where uh, one of the characters wanted to leap across um, a chasm and grab the Holy Grail. So Mm. I said, well, which superpower are you going to use to enable you to do that? And he looked down his list and he said, <laughs> uh, I've got a super taste. You, know, you can't lick the side of the, uh, uh, side of the hole. You're not going get, to get to it. <laughs> so that, that thing of, you know, how do you fail when you've got these uh, superpowers? It, you've got to have the right ones at the
2: right time to do the thing that you want to do. Yeah and that became very apparent in play because again looking at the game uh, as a rule book your your instinct is, is as we did back in the days is, is oh they're going to get really really powerful things well you are but you're right that you've got really powerful stuff but in other respects you you're just normal you don't have a superpower of being especially tough or something like that you're as susceptible to a bullet as anybody else aren't you yes yeah. And that that alters the dynamic as well. So I had a particularly tough character, but I think Neil Neil got into a fight, didn't Neil's ca- character go into a fight and realized he he was just an odd. When it comes to being being, sh- although he could fly, when he was shot, he was he was just ordinary, you know. So yeah. that does does give you that balance that you know you you fighting fighting supervillains, well, but you're not supremely powerful. Well,
0: let's let's uh, move on to handling damage then. So the next one is uh, handling damage. So how
2: does that work? Well, you have you have two sets of hit points. You have hits to kill and hits to coma, don't you? And I think that's a nice a <laughs> nice thing. It's kill and coma. Nice. What am I saying? <laughs> but that then it's a nice thing in as much as the hits to coma fits in with you exactly. might not want to go around killing the bad guys. That that's
0: generated in an interesting way as well, isn't it? So it's your number of vigour points. There's a D6. So you end up rolling loads and loads of D6, don't you?
2: Yeah, which is always fun, rolling lots of dice. That's a (laughs) a definite plus, isn't it? But yeah, hits to kill, hits to coma. So you've got a hits to coma rule where you can do damage to knock people out rather than kill them. And that's quite good because a lot of role-playing games never have that distinction, do they? You know, Most role-playing games, it's just hit points and that's the end of that. People are dead. But in this, you can play it in a sort of comic code way of not killing people necessarily,
0: yeah, so it's so is, is an interesting approach. Hits to come is more of like the shock damage, isn't it? Whereas hits to kill are physical pain, um, yes. so like actual yeah, wounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you yeah. can, uh, depending on what weapon you use, you can distribute
2: um, the damage between the two. But I think, I think the really interesting bit of how it handles damage is damage dividers because. The way the way most role-playing games handle armour or toughness is by either armour makes you harder to hit, so it's like d d it's an armour class, and it's an all, all rolled into one figure that the more armour you've got, the harder you are to hit, or it does a Rune Quest thing where it soaks up damage, so, you know, plate soaks up six damage, leather soaks up two, all that kind of stuff. But what gold Heroes does, which is interesting, is it, it gives you, if you've if you have certain superpowers, it gives you what are called damage dividers, which means that when you hit, you can divide the damage by a particular number. Now, it does it does create, like you're in a maths class, where you're dividing, uh, dividing by seven or dividing by 11 or something like that.
0: Yeah, tell me about it, it.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like my character in, in Golden Heroes. I think, I think she had a damage divider of three or four or something like that. So at one point, she took... 9d6 damage, which was a hell of a lot of damage, but divided it by 3, so it really is effectively like 3d6 damage, which isn't, wasn't that bad at all. It's a neat way of giving you a sense of feeling sort of super-powered and super-tough, without just giving you a load of armour, or a load of hit points, or that kind of thing. I think it's a neat, it's a neat way of doing that, where when you get a damage divider, you feel Sort of indestructible, like a superhero would feel. You, you still take damage, but it's it's da- divided up when it hits you. So an ordinary person takes ninety-six damage. Superhero with a damage divider of three takes well ninety-six, but divided by three.
0: And he think like, I think,
2: the... I, think one, I think one player a damage divider eleven, didn't he? Yeah, that that was the one, Blooming heck. Eleven. Yeah, How did you divide
0: eleven? I had a, again, I had a, a mental I had mental arithmetic as a superpower
2: at the end of it, <laughs> but it did it did give him that sense of being like someone who can bounce bullets off the chest that kind of thing. Well, you know?
0: well, he was he was uh, Mister Intangible, wasn't he? So he could pass through uh, walls. So when bullets yeah. hit him, they went through the other side. And that's um, right. What What was good about your uh, you mentioned about you feeling? Um, Invulnerable. It allowed you to take part in a set piece, and everybody thought you were throwing yourself into a really dangerous situation. But you'd made the calculation, mm. you that you could do it and yeah. uh, throw yourself into harm's
2: way. Yeah, like a superhero would. You know, it's like mm. it's like the Hulk, isn't it? In uh, the Avengers films, he's got a massive damage divider. So people shoot him. You know, tanks. He's got a damage divider of twenty, or probably something like. Twenty-three, just to make it really difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be twenty? Would it It'd be twenty-three point five? But, he's, <laughs> but, he, but that, that's it's it's a good it's a good little mechanic because when you watch a superhero film, you think, "Oh yeah, I, I can see that." It's a damage divider. He's not. He's not. The Hulk isn't super armored, is he? I mean, he's bare chested, yeah. and he doesn't take injuries as such. So he's not got. I mean, he would have a lot of lot of hits to kill and hits to coma, but he doesn't take lots of injuries. the the The, the weapons, the bullets, and everything just bounce off him. It's a damage divider. It's quite a unique, it's a clever little superhero mechanic, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I did. I, I thought it was a really neat, uh, neat thing that because it did. It gave you a sense of. I'm yeah. I'm a superhero. I can take that damage. Yeah. You know.
0: I I like that, and uh, I do like uh, the distribution between hits to coma and hits to kill, because uh, yeah. it does allow you that thing of uh, your character could be stunned or hospitalised, um, yeah, uh, allows your character to be uh, staggered, and you know have varying um, varying stages of uh, being immobilised. Yeah, that's really good. So um, your last highlight is um,
2: frames.
0: So how do frames? Yeah,
2: the way it deals with not so much initiative, but to some extent initiative, but more more about actions within a combat round is it gives the players four frames, and it gives the villains three frames, doesn't it? Yeah. And you roll for initiative, and if you win initiative, you can your frames come first, and I think you can stick a frame at the end of the round. If you lose initiative, then the villains go first. That kind of thing. But it, it it works. It, it tries to emulate uh, a comic. So what it does is, you know, you, you throw a punch. That's a frame. You've got four frames. Throw another punch. That's another frame. Uh, you know, do something else. That's a frame. And it's a, a neat way of dealing with actions. I think because you can visualize it in your head as a comic. Yeah, that makes sense. You yeah. can visualize it. And it and what I think is good is as well. It, it's a neat way of for a games master, and a player to some extent, of dealing with those situations in a combat where you step outside the ordinary turn of events. So it's it's always easy, isn't it, in combat to go, right, it's your turn, what are you going to do? I'm going to hit him with my sword. Okay, that's that's an action. There you go, you hit, you miss, whatever. I'm going to cast a spell or this, that, the other. But but sometimes in combat, you get people going, well, I'll do some first aid on this guy. And you think, oh, is, that, is that a combat round? is that, like, that's not really a combat route. It's going to take you longer than that. How do you deal with it? But the frames idea is good because you can sort of see it as a comic and say, well, all right, you're going to do some first aid, two frames. That's two frames, not one. Because you can visualise the comic book in your head, can't you? So Mm -hmm. it's a a good way of negotiating how long certain actions or unusual actions might take, which is, is good because that ties back to the superpowers being flexible and negotiable as well so, so i think it's a really clever way of dealing with action and how long things take
0: yes and um it also differentiates the player characters from the rest of the characters doesn't it because usually you'll act uh, quicker you'll have more actions per round than your opponent now that that is an example again of a, a rule that just doesn't seem to uh work on the page and when we played this back in the day i had a horrible experience and i'm going to relate that in the second part of this podcast it was a terrible yes. experience um, it was. and i think <laughs> part of it was down to um trying to convey how these frames worked to the group we were playing with um yeah. And when I was reading this again, thirty um, odd years later, I was getting flashback and uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, remembering <laughs> the experience of trying to <laughs> play this back. But again, that's a story for next time. Well, yeah, I was
2: I was there. It was traumatic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the um, yeah, frames is really really inventive, and you know th- those are um, three highlights that are really inventive rules that. Um, hmm. I don't want to use this word because you know that we don't like torpedoing an argument with uh, fun, but it does create fun <laughs> I all don't of want us... any fun, yeah, well it, you know we always say it up with that if uh, as soon as people say well, you know it was fun, it's just torpedoing the argument, so we're not going to pa- we're not going to drop the fun bomb, but it yeah. is it is
2: fun isn't it? It is a lot of fun <laughs> you we're know, not going to drop the fun bomb. But it is a lot of fun. Yeah. that's a fun bomb been dropped. Boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. So let's leave it at that. <laughs> no, it is right. It is a lot of fun, and it, it is interesting that on the page those those rules we've talked about that we like don't they they don't come alive until you play it. You know, and I think it's fair to say sometimes when you read some games, some rule books, there are rules that do sort of come alive when you read them. We've all read rules and thought, oh, I like that. That's a good idea. You know, like a, like advantage and disadvantage in d I remember reading that rule before we'd even used it and thought, well, oh, I like that. That's a good idea, isn't it? Or opposed roles in RuneQuest. Yeah, that's good. So some rules do leap off the page, but, but I don't think these do until you play them and then they sort of come alive yes. and they work really, really well. well yeah, what- they are theirs.
0: What, what, what does it I hate saying they're ahead
2: of the time. I say that all the time, don't we? But, yeah. but they, they do feel a little bit ahead of the time. I mean, the frames idea is is replicated to some extent in Feng Shui, isn't it? With the with the action, the frames in in that where you move down a track like a movie. Yeah. And in a way, he was he was ahead of the game there, wasn't he? He'd invented it there, like a comic book. So, what doesn't work so well then? What are the bits that don't work well? The things things I didn't like. There's there's quite a lot of tables, isn't there? And I always think tables can be fun, you know. Don't don't but drop the bomb again. I've dro- i think I already have. <laughs> tables can be enjoyable, not necessarily yeah. fun, enjoyable. Let's 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 not let's not say they're fun. say they're <laughs> enjoyable. Amusing. They can be amusing, can't they? And add a bit of colour. Um but they should be sort of used rarely. So, you know, the fumble table. Yeah, it's fun to roll on the fun sorry, not fun, enjoyable. To roll on the the fumble table in request, but you're not you're not referring to it all the time. Whereas I think in Golden Heroes, you you as games master were referring to quite a few tables at various points for the to hit roll and for criticals and stuff like that, weren't you? Yeah, and I I think the it also but it it also seemed like a waste of time to refer to the the tables because you know I might be wrong, but to hit as I remember it, the to hit rolls that you were quoting in the game. They all seem to be the same, no matter what. Yeah. They all seem to be the, between 10 and 13 yes. or more on the D20. Yeah. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, well, what's the point of the table? You must have had to come up with an easier way of saying whether it... You might as well just show it's 11 for everybody, for the sake of, you know...
0: Yeah, so it, it, it works like uh, early D&D in that it's comparing your defence class against the weapon class. And you refer on a table to get a kind of THACOR, mm. don't you? A target. That's number, right. Yeah. Which is adjusted by strike modifiers and uh, mm. other factors. But you're right, the differentiation uh, is. It, you're usually aiming for about 13, aren't you? 13, mm. 12. Yeah. It's a yeah. range between. It seemed, seemed
2: a lot of work to get that number. Yes. You do it for another character, it'd be the same number. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it was different
0: modifiers. So. Uh, I I think that was that was a fair point, but I think that it just got easy that as we, like all these things do, like D and D does, isn't it? Yeah, it it, it gets easier once you get into the run of play. What I found uh, difficult with the combat is that um, different things are resolved in different ways. So parrying and dodging, and uh, they've all got a different resolution. So if you want to do particular things, you have to refer in different places, and they have different rules for dealing with different situations so that was a bit that was a bit clunky in play uh, but i think we got through it the thing i think um didn't didn't work so much is the critical tables because you hit a few criticals during the day Mm. but there were very few that were applicable to the context of the situation that you were in yeah
2: yeah I remember, refer- <clears throat> I remember
0: referring, remember referring. Particularly when you, I think there's a scene where you're up against some uh, leopards, and um, yes, it yeah. just it just didn't work, did it? Because the descriptions were all about uh, humanoids, so yes, um, I had to do a bit of interpretation. there, But hey, I've got years, yeah, of it, years well, of experience. Yeah, that's, with this.
2: that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, the, the tables are kind of tying you down to specifics and yet other aspects of the game are very non-specific and I suppose as you play it you realise the non-specific stuff works and is more fun than the specific stuff on the table that then can't be applied to the situation you're in Yes. so there's, there's a bit of tension in the game isn't there? there's a bit of proper old school refer to this table refer to this, refer to that, it'll give you a number Um the other stuff we've been talking about, which is far more forward-looking and is about narrative and interpretations and ideas rather than looking at things on a table. Yeah. But, yeah, those kind of proper, let's say old-fashioned, but more conventional elements of it. It's not that they don't work. I suppose it's just at times you think, well, it seems like hard work. Yeah. Whereas other aspects of the game out, there are a lot of... So I know said a lot of fun then. Yeah. Am I allowed to say things are fun anymore? No, you're not. Yeah, okay. Is it possible... Enjoyable.
0: I, I put this question to uh, Simon Burley in the second part of uh, the interview. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to play superhero games straight? So... The vision of this is to deliver comics code. Not wearing
2: not wearing all that lycra now, I wouldn't yeah. say. <laughs> that, that's it, isn't it? there's an inbuilt
0: campness to it. Hmm. That um for today's sensibility we just cut through that, don't we? We don't we it, it's hard to tolerate. So in the game that we played, we set a bit of background to say that this group of um, superheroes were a throwback to when um, King Charles handed over authority to Parliament and the monarchy retained uh, the right to have a, a privy army, private army um, that were, was clandestine and they were experimenting on them in uh, a remote part of Dartmoor. And so that gave it an element of cynicism which... I felt had to be introduced to make it more palatable.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a difficult question, isn't it? Because I think my, my gut instinct is I'm not sure you can play it straight, actually. And even if you look at even if you look at the um some of the Marvel films like the Avengers films, they've become increasingly comic, haven't they? I mean, I watched is it Thor Ragnarok the other the other week. I watched that, and and it's a very good. I enjoyed it, but it's funny. It is funny. It's played for laughs almost, as if you can't play this stuff too straight because there is an element of well, it's a comic book, you know. You can't. It's hard to play it straight unless you're going to go down a, I don't know, go down a kind of Watchmen road. Um, but then again, Golden Heroes isn't. It just isn't like that, is it? no you know i don't think it lends itself to that no you know I think, I think you have to just sort of embrace the idea that yes you are superheroes in costumes yeah with, with alter egos you know with, with aliases and th- perhaps, that's what you are yeah.
0: perhaps we'll um return to that thought next time when we get together but before you mm. go i need to ask you right if you had uh, a superpower what would it be mm-hmm. What would it be? I um, think it'd be time travel. Time travel. Yeah. That's a good one. So I've to go back in, uh, fighting a gladiatorial arena and that kind of thing.
2: Well, I was thinking more specifically going back to when you first asked me to do these podcasts and saying no. <laughs> <laughs> it's too oh, late. You've wrote, you wrote me into this. No, but you know, I've no, I've no way out now. Whether that's using it for good or evil, I don't know. But other people can decide that.
0: <laughs> oh, I won't bother telling you mine then.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know what yours is. What's that? It's an eye. It's an yeah. eye on the end of your finger. Well, it, it used you to. You always be... go for that eye on the end of your finger, so you could look round corners. That's, that's one oh. you always said as a kid. Yeah. It's not even in gold. I think I can remember you being like disappointed that it wasn't in gold, Eye on the end of your finger. I think you went through the rules trying to find a, a superpower that you could possibly interpret as eye on the end of your finger.
0: Now I'm getting older though. It's uh, I would love to have the superpower of not having to go to the loo.
2: You know, <laughs> not having to go to the loo. These are the real these are the real superpowers people want, aren't they? Things like that. Not you know being able to drink seven pints and not go to the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Because then when when you're on the when you're on the bus home. That thing where you think, oh God, yeah, exactly. I've, been, I've been, but it's got me again now on the buzz. with you superhero, it wouldn't happen, would it? Oh. You wouldn't have to go at all. Emodium,
0: watch out, fellas! Imod- it is about to go.
2: Emodium, <laughs> man. <laughs> Waterworks, man. Bladder, man. Oh. I can see it. It works. It works. See, that's so, what I mean. You can't play these things straight, can you? Catheter. Anyway. <laughs> Catheter, <Catholic>, man. <laughs> Stick to the eye in the end of your finger. <laughs> stick, stick to that.
0: All right then, just blisey. Thanks for that. See you later.
2: Bye. There isn't
0: another bit. I'd really like to hear your experiences of playing superhero games and how you've addressed the inevitable issues of balance and the challenges that we've discussed. Contact us through the usual channels and we'll cover them in the next part of the episode. If you want to know more about the game of Queen Victoria and the Holy Grail that we played at Convergence, then please go to thegrognardfiles.com where you'll find a write-up. You'll also find the short film that I've made to accompany this podcast. I really want to play Golden Heroes again. It seems like the kind of game that needs to be done around a table with a big group of players laughing and throwing juggernauts, busting through walls and warping through time and space. We've been doing a lot of online play recently Cause it's still difficult to get round a table, including the first virtual grog meet which featured games of Maelstrom, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, Cthulhu Hack and Woof among others. And later this month we're going to commence the Two-Headed Serpent Pulp Cthulhu campaign and we've got much more planned for the rest of the year. It's the Patreon campaign that allows us to do these extras And we're planning the third grogzine at the moment and putting together grogmeet18 for the 10th of November. Make sure you put it in your diary. Thanks to all those generous souls who financially contribute and encourage us by giving us a monthly tip to cover the costs and incentivise us to continue producing these podcasts. The following people have become honorary members of the Armchair Adventurers in February and March of 2018. At the $1 level, welcome to Malcolm Cool, Dan Connolly, Joshua Eaves, and the return of Richard August. Thanks to you all. At the 3 dollars half dollar level, which we refer to as the fancy poof, we have Mark Boardman, Matthew Hackerman, Per Broaden. Thank you, and sit back, put your feet up, and enjoy yourself. At the $5 level, or the Sofa So Good level, I like to give out a virtual award from a game under discussion. This time, these Grog Squad members will be given superpowers. To help the convention game, I put the superpowers onto cards, and the players had to draw them. So I'm going to use them now. Okay, first up, Paul Budowski, last episode's special guest. He's got a chameleon ability. He comes and goes, he comes and goes. Thanks, Paul. Next, it's Nick Edwards. He's written a great piece about fanzines on the Grognard File site, so make sure you check that out. He gets tough skin. Thanks, Nick. Next up, it's Michael Barnes, and he's got vibration immunity. He can move the washing machine in spin cycle. Thanks, Michael. And Brian Hunt, he's got the power of vigour. He can hunt for hundreds of miles without losing his breath. Thanks, Brian. Julian Raffot, he gets ultrasonic reflection. Right back at you, Julian. Thank you. Julian Haley has upgraded. He's got super hearing, which will be Helpful when listening back to some of those older episodes. Thanks, Jules. Arjun Poutsmer has got the gift of... Escapology. So there's no getting away. Thanks, Arjun. Finally, upgrading to the new level that's been added to the campaign, the high-back chair level. You know, one of those chairs with fancy wings at the back. You know the ones, don't you? It's Jean Mays. And he gets a computer brain and a handmade certificate to prove it. That really is a smart move. Thanks, Jean, And to everyone else, thank you. Next time, we have more from Simon Burley, who faces the scenario supervisor screen. At Daily Dwarf from Twitter, looks at supers and golden heroes in White Dwarf. And Blythe and I are heading to the pub to tell a story of the worst gaming experience of my life. I'll need a drink for that. You know, I'll probably die and not have a Brian Bolland illustrate anything I've done. (sighs) Here's the balloon kid from Game Boy for no other reason than I like it. Adios, amigos. (laughs)